Merry Christmas. It is Monday. Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. I hope that you are having some time with your family, maybe getting to enjoy the season a little, remembering what this is all about. We have a great conversation coming your way. Sit back and relax. I've got some times that uh, we had some great guests in the Christmas season leading up to it. I want to play a few of those for you. Uh, So sit back. Let's get into it. All right, folks, I hope you're enjoying Christmas Day. Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. This is my gift to you, a great episode, a great episode here on Christmas. Uh, I want to lead it off with uh, a recap of the conversation that I had with Congressman Jim Jordan, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, breaking down where we are on the impeachment. Here we go. Chairman, thanks for coming back. Always good to see you. So just give me a sense of where we are, four days that Congress is going to be in session this week. What should we expect vis-a-vis the impeachment quarry before you guys leave town? Well, we expect to vote. We expect it to pass. And of course, the reason you do that is when the full House um, goes on record with a majority supporting an impeachment inquiry, we think it just helps us, helps us get the key witnesses we need to talk to. We think they come in quicker, faster. I mean, we're having a good conversation with the lawyers. We just think we get them in for the deposition in, in, a, in a more timely fashion. And then certain documents we need, if we ever have to go to court, it helps us with our standing in court because as you as you well know, the impeachment power is a power solely that resides with the House of Representatives. And if we've made a vote of, the, of a majority of the, of the House uh, to move in that direction, that just carries a lot of weight. So that's why we're doing it. Um, and we think that's going to happen as early as tomorrow. So- you're down to three votes because Congressman Santos is off on Cameo making a boatload of cash on videos. <laughs> um, there were a bunch of holdouts before uh, when this was initially discussed. What makes you think that they have shifted over to support an inquiry? Because we have so much compelling evidence already. I mean, there's a hand, we, we, we need to talk to the rest of Hunter Biden's business partners. We need to talk to Eric Schwerin. We need to talk to Rob Walker. We need to have uh, uh, Tony Bobolinsky and Jim, uh, Jim Biden. Uh, his his uncle. We need to talk. We need to talk to the guy Kevin Morris, who paid a bunch of Hunter Biden's taxes, a couple million dollars. So we need to talk to those folks. But we already have compelling evidence, and I tell folks all the time, I think this story is pretty basic. It's really as old as the hills. You got a politician who does certain things; those things benefit his family financially, and then there's an effort to kind of sweep it under the rug and conceal it. And of course, that that effort to conceal it was largely David Weiss and how he handled the investigation into Hunter Biden. Um, but I think that's the story. And you look at the evidence, particularly with this Ukrainian energy company, Burisma, where Joe Biden, after getting a call from his son, goes to Ukraine and leverages your tax dollars, your viewers' tax dollars, American tax dollars, to get the prosecutor fired who was pressuring the executives who run this energy company, Burisma, in Ukraine. So uh, there is the action that benefited Hunter Biden because he was on the board of Burisma, this energy company. So how much last week we saw Hunter Biden, another nine charges come out against him, three felony charges for not paying up to $1.4 million in in taxes. Yeah. I feel like that helped a lot of members come on board because Joe Biden had said, my son has done nothing wrong. I knew nothing of this. He's the greatest and smartest guy ever. And now these members can see that he clearly lied. Is that a yeah. fair statement? That I think that's accurate. And I think it also... The actions of the special counsel, Weiss, you know, the U.S. attorney who's now special counsel, I think they just confirm what the whistleblowers told us. The whistleblowers told us these charges should have been brought years ago. 
and they drug this thing out. But after they came forward and after the court in Delaware said, no, we're not taking this sweetheart plea deal, you now see the special counsel, Mr. Weiss, you know, uh, charging the things that they said, the whistleblower said should have been charged all along. So it further confirms the whistleblower's testimony. And by the way, the whistleblowers have been right all along. We've deposed eight different people associated with the investigation. None of them have refuted in any way the testimony from uh, the whistleblowers. So I think that's that's important. Finally, I would add, this is why the impeachment inquiry is so good, uh, or so important, is because there are two lawyers who the Justice Department refused to let us talk to, Mr. Daly and Mr. Morgan. These two individuals said they were all for charging the 2014-2015 tax years, which is where the, the, the bulk of the money from Burisma was coming in. They were all for doing that. Then they changed their position, and as you know, uh, uh, the uh, U.S. Attorney, Mr. Weiss, now Special Counsel, Mr. Weiss, let the statute of limitations lapse for those years. And I say that's an important fact because Burisma takes you to the White House. This takes you to Joe Biden, and they weren't going to have that part of the deal, uh, part of the charging. So uh, this is with the impeachment inquiry, we think it helps us get Mr. Morgan and Mr. Daly in for the depositions that we've been asking for now for months and the DOJ refuses to do it. All right, folks, longtime listeners to the show are gonna know about Delta Rescue. DeltaRescue.org, the largest no-kill sanctuary in the world. It was founded by my friend, Leo Grillo, and Leo basically one day found a Doberman that was in need of serious help and nutrition. He rescued that Doberman. He named the Doberman Delta. Delta stands for Dedication and Everlasting Love to Animals. It's become Leo's mission and what Delta Rescue does every single day for all sorts of animals. Go to deltarescue.org, take a look at the videos and the material there. They rely solely on our contributions. If you're an animal lover, go check out deltarescue.org and tell me that you just can't see how what great work they do and why we should be helping them. Um, I've rescued three dogs myself. I know what it's like. Uh, to go out there and help them. This is a no-kill sanctuary for life. It's a mission for them. And they rely solely on our contributions. So five, 10, 100 bucks, whatever you can give is super helpful. But more importantly, Leo wants to make this an enduring cause, something that we don't have to worry about just funding month to month, year to year, forever, to make sure that the work of Delta Rescue lives on. They've got an estate planning package on their website, deltarescue.org. Aside from the videos and all the testimonials, go check out that estate planning guide and see if you can make it part of your enduring mission when you pass to make Delta Rescue part of your estate planning. Check it out, download it. It's all free. They can help you walk through it. Please visit deltarescue.org. If you're an animal lover like me, you're going to want to do this. Thank you. So a lot of the reports that I've read have said that you guys are constructing this in a way that you believe the courts will have to intervene. Is that a fair analysis of what's happening? We just think that if, if, you know, typically there's something that gets challenged in court, um, we, you know, we look at some of the correspondence we've got from Hunter Biden's lawyer, uh, Abby Lowell. Um, we just think it makes sense to take this next step. Uh, again, not required in the Constitution, but most impeachment scholars, someone like Mr. Turley, in fact, would say that it helps if, in fact, there is a vote of the full House. So uh, we think for all those reasons, it's important to have this vote. And we think we're going to win on it um, tomorrow. So, so last time when the Democrats did this, Republicans called it an illegitimate inquiry. Is having the vote crucial because it flips the tables and says, okay, guys, we did exactly what you wouldn't. We now have the authority. And, and if that does pass and it's cemented, is there any further hurdles? I mean, getting these two attorneys, for example, does that then make it very clear in terms of precedent that there's no obstruction that they can uh, 
We think forward. so. Yeah, yeah and it's a it's a good question, Sean, because again, we are sort of following the same kind of process that the Democrats followed. They initially started an impeachment inquiry at the at the request of of uh, then uh, Speaker Pelosi. Uh, then there was an actual vote uh, to move into you know and have a vote of the full House, and they were able to pass that. And then they moved through, and they actually then brought articles. Whether we bring articles or not uh, will depend on what we find. I do think though that the case is already pretty darn compelling. And I presented a lot of this information along with Chairman Comer and Chairman Smith to the conference last week. And again, I think we're going to have the uh, the votes to pass it. And then right now in, in, in the Rules Committee, they're, they're looking at the resolution that would set up the whole process for moving forward with the inquiry. And it's exactly the same rules that the Democrats had four years ago when they did their crazy impeachment of President Trump. So you guys have three committees looking into this. Your committee, the Judiciary Committee, Comer, you mentioned he's got House or uh, the the Oversight Committee, and then right. Chairman Jason Smith has the Ways and Means Committee. Walk us through kind of what the jurisdiction is and what each committee will look at. We've primarily focused on uh, David Weiss's investigation. So I, you know, we've talked to two FBI agents. We've talked to a number of people from DOJ. We've talked to the U.S. Attorney in Washington D.C., Mr. Graves, and we've talked to the U.S. Attorney in California, Mr. Estrada. So we've 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 done that. We're we need to talk to Morgan and Daly, and then we will help with the oversight committee who has been focused on the business side of things, which is uh, we will help them in the depositions of Mr. Schwerin, Mr. Walker, Mr. Bobolinsky, uh, Jim Biden, um, and, and, and Kevin Morris, the people who were involved in a, in a kind of a real close way with Hunter Biden's business operation. So we will help with that. And then, of course, the Ways and Means Committee has focused primarily on the two whistleblowers, Mr. Shapley and Mr. Ziegler, who came forward. And I've said, as, as I've said many times, their testimony has not changed. The White House's story has changed multiple times. The Justice right. Department's story has changed multiple times. But the two whistleblowers, they've, they, they've, they've been in the, the, the hearing, stood up to four hours of cross-examination from the Democrats and the Oversight Committee. Their story has not changed. Their testimony has not wavered because they're telling the truth. And every deposition we have done has further validated what Mr. Shapley and Mr. Ziegler have brought forward. All right, folks, now more than ever, it's smart to be ready in case of an unpredictable health emergency, right? Now more than ever, imagine that a health crisis strikes and the usual channels for medication are disrupted. Sound familiar? Hello, 2020. Uh, that's where contingency medical comes into play, providing you access to emergency packs of antibiotics for ordinary ailments like urinary tract infections, ear infections, strep throat, and so much more. Think about being ready for that unexpected that we all know is potentially around the corner. Contingency Medical even has symptom management medicines for everything from nausea to diarrhea, motion sickness, ensuring that you're up to date. You need to be ready in case something bad happens. You don't wanna be running around trying to find out that everyone at pharmacy is out of something that you can't get in touch with your doctor. I've got some free samples of their ReadyPack Plus. I know that if something happens, I'm ready to go. Uh, Contingency Medical also offers free shipping on all packs. Prepare yourself and your family in case something goes wrong. So don't wait. Go to contingencymedical.com slash Spicer now and enter promo code Spicer for 20 bucks off. 20 bucks off your pack. Any pack that you pick at Contingency Medical, right? So go to contingencymedical.com slash Spicer. Use that promo code Spicer. And remember, Contingency Medical and its products are not intended as a substitute for professional medical treatment or advice. You should always consult with your healthcare provider. So one of the things that has come out over the last couple of weeks are these these loans. And yet the White House's pushback is, yeah, they were a loan and, and we're just paying them back. The thing that I find interesting is when you give someone a loan, 
even if it's a family member, you would write that down. I give Jim Jordan $5,000. He agrees to pay me back even without interest, but I'd want something yeah. from you. I trust you. You know that, but, yeah. but I'd want something that shows that I made that transaction. How important is it to establish that, that there's a lack of transparency on this and that if it's a loan, show me something that, that an email, something that shows that there's a loan happening. Right. Right. Uh, Cause right now that seems to be the missing piece from the Democrats argument. Yeah, they would they would argue. Well, we wrote loan repayment on the check, so that 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 covers it all. That's that's their defense. So no, you're exactly right. And the American people get this. But doesn't? American- but can I just real quick? There's the, the, one of the things that I had that I, I heard that's really interesting is either it's a loan to your point, like maybe maybe there's no. Let's just say hypothetically, it's it's all on the up and up. I I loan he loaned him forty grand or a hundred grand or whatever it was, yeah. and he wrote it back. Fine. Then there's then then by law by IRS standards that that's taxable funds because it's over right. the seventeen thousand dollars, right? So it's got to be one or the other, right? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I don't think they can prove it. Uh, you know that that it was really a loan. Um, no, no, no one has produced any evidence, and they just say, oh no, no, it was. We just take our word for it. Kind of kind of approach that I don't think that's going to fly with the American people, particularly when you couple it with everything else, where Joe Biden said he had no involvement with his son or his son's business partners and associates. Well, then we find out there's multiple dinners, multiple phone calls, multiple meetings he had with Hunter Biden and the people he he's or his partners and people he did business with. And of course, the most important one is the meeting he had in in uh, with with the wealthiest woman in Russia, Miss Baterina, who then meets with Joe Biden, has dinner, uh, and then somehow she escapes the sanctions. I mean, the timing of that is really amazing. $3.5 million comes from this lady to Hunter Biden and his business partners. And then a week later, Russia invades Crimea. This is t- February, 2014. And then two weeks later, there's the sanctions. She is not, you know, Shazam, she's not on the sanction list. And then the month later, in April of 2014, Hunter Biden gets put on the board of Burisma. He's, that meeting takes place in, in, uh, in Italy with Zolachevsky, the head of Burisma. And guess who's also at the meeting? This Russian woman. This this Miss Ballerina like that that seems strange to me. That's when this whole thing started to roll with this influence issue that 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 they were doing and selling the brand. So I th- I find that interesting. And Joe Biden's in the middle of all that, and he told us that he had no nothing to do with it. So again, multiple times the story has changed. But um, so I think the country has already kind of figured this out. But we want to get these last few witnesses but, in and but, get get, the, get their depositions under oath. But don't you agree that I think that the point that I, I'm trying to make to you is, is the following, which is let's just assume that everything you just laid out is a coincidence. Okay. Yeah. The loan, if it's not a loan, is therefore then a violation of tax law. You didn't pay yep. taxes on it. Yep. So it's got to be one of the two. And pay, therefore, say to the Democrats, pick your poison. Which law did you break? You get to pick because either yeah. you violated this or you violated tax law. But I think that, you know, we lay out this uh, exactly what you laid out. And some people say, well, that's all coincidence. Fine. Then it must be another violation. But the point is, is that they have to choose which right. poison they want to take. I think that's a compelling case. They did yeah. one or the other, but it can't be none. Can't be both. So tell us which one it is. And if it's taxes, right. show us, show us the, show us your tax return where you showed it as income and you pay taxes on it or show us the loan agreement right. where it was actually a loan. And, and frankly, where's the first check? If it's a loan repayment, where's the loan initially right, but going? Don't show you us think, that check. So, so don't you think from a messaging standpoint that the, the case that you just laid out, and I agree with you, but it, it takes a while and you have to follow the bouncing ball. And I agree. I mean, that's the beauty of this elaborate thing that they put it together. But I think that from an American people standpoint and making the case for impeachment, 
you can easily just say, okay, if you don't buy that, then it is tax fraud. It is yeah. a violation of tax law. So show us the either the payment and the and the check that there was the original loan or that you paid it on your taxes. But to your point, I, I just think that for the majority of people that think that this is, you know, just going after Joe Biden, we have a simple sell, which is fine. Yeah. Tell us then if it's not, here's the easiest way to disprove that. And there you go. Great point. Great point. And I think that'll be part of, uh, as we move forward, part of the uh, key discussion. And, and we'll, uh, we'll continue, as I said, to dig into this and, and get inf- more information. I mean, r- remember, the, the, the best testimony we've got thus far was from Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's business partner. We've yet to talk to the other five business partners. So we, we, we need to do that. We think, again, a vote for an official impeachment inquiry by the full House, uh, where a majority goes on record supporting that, will help us get those people in in a, in a much quicker and timely way so we get that information. One other point that's been brought up to me is that a lot of people, and again, I don't know this is true, you guys have the investigative power and the subpoena power and the investigators, but people have said, okay, he made all these improvements on this Rehoboth Beach House, et cetera. Why aren't we calling in contractors to say how and who paid you for all these improvements on his house? That might be a way that he was getting payment for things without revealing it. Is that something that you guys are looking at well, right now, it's largely the banks getting information into the oversight committee on on the transactions. You know, we had this two weeks ago, this this from this Asian American bank, where one of the, the compliance officers inside the bank said, this huge payment, there's millions of dollars coming from CEFC, the Chinese energy company, into the one of the Biden entities, one of the Biden business entities. It raises all kinds of concerns. I thought the key line in there was uh, where, where this compliance officer said, that you know, China is trying to influence children of, of, of politicians in the United States, trying to gain influence on them. That, so in some ways we, we say, oh, this was always Hunter Biden shaking down these, maybe it was going the other direction. This is, this is foreign interest trying to, trying to have influence with p- important people in our country, which is really scary, particularly when you're talking about uh, an energy company associated with communist China. So I got two more things to get to you. Uh, the first is give me a timeline. So this inquiry passes the floor and it moves forward. When if could, would you expect a final vote on an impeachment to happen? And do you think that even if it passes the House, that there's any chance it moves into the Senate? Well, uh, I, I think it's driven by the, the key people we need to talk to. Now, we're talking to Leslie Wolf, who was the assistant U.S. attorney, talking to her, <coughs> excuse me, on Thursday. We think that's an important interview. Um, and then we have these 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 uh, folks who did business with Hunter Biden. We think those all happen in early to mid-January. So I do believe at some point we will have the evidence we need to make a final decision. And, and we'll just look at all the evidence, look at all the facts and say, are we moving forward with articles? Is it, is it a bribery? Is it an abuse of power? Is it obstruction? What are the charges if in fact we move forward? And we will have to make a decision as a as uh, House of Representatives on whether we're going to go forward with actual articles. And if and if the evidence is there, we'll do it. If the evidence isn't, we won't. But what I do know is thus far, I think the evidence is already pretty darn compelling. When you, when you lay out the Burisma timeline and the actions he took as vice president, and then I think that pattern continued, that influence peddling pattern continued, because they saw, wow, this is this, what, what a deal. And they kept it going. Uh, the scary thing is that 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 line in that uh, from the compliance officer talking about foreign countries trying to get influence over politicians by giving sweetheart deals to their kids. That's scary because that, that happens in 2018 when China may have been thinking, oh, Joe Biden may be the next president. Let's right. do this. So that's scary. So I think this pattern 
we already sort of have, but we want to talk to these last few people. All right. Last thing I got for you. Uh, this the week the House is supposed to vote on the National Defense Authorization Act. Yeah. Section uh, 702 of FISA, that foreign surveillance, is, is currently in the bill as an extension through April. Where do you come down on this? Do you think it's going to pass with that in it? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm opposed to that. I'm opposed to adding the FISA, uh, that 702 language in there. We have a bill that came out of Judiciary Committee 35 to 2, uh, where we actually think we protect Americans' liberties. We have a warrant requirement. If you're going to go fishing around and use Sean Spicer's email address or your phone number and query that in this database, we think they should have to go to a court, uh, go to the court and get a warrant to do so. We don't think you should be able to use identifiers of U.S. persons to go fish around in this this big database that they have. Um, Other people disagree with us, but the Judiciary Committee, which is the committee of primary jurisdiction, particularly when it comes to fundamental liberties and how our court system operates and how the FBI operates, we had a overwhelming bipartisan vote in favor of protecting your rights and and enforcing the the, the Bill of Rights and the Fourth Amendment, for goodness sake, when it comes to American uh, American people. Okay. Chairman Jim Jordan, thanks for sharing the insight with us. Good luck with everything and Merry Christmas if I don't see you You before the holiday. All right. We also got a chance to catch up with Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, uh, while we were out there in Alabama. Here's what he said about his debate performance and what he thinks he needs to do. How are you? Good to see you. Just tell me, how did you do last night? What do you think? And is it going to move the needle? It was great. I mean, I think that uh, you you continue to have a smaller and smaller debate stage. And I think it's going to I think it's going to get even smaller when we go into January. And that's ultimately, uh, you know, what what we need. I mean, you know, to have seven or eight candidates was not going to be was not going to work. You know, you get it down to, uh, to to one, two or three, then then we're in business. You want to debate again, just you and Haley, maybe? I would do that 100 yep. percent. And just to be clear, you said last week, I mean, the press, Iowa, you're all in. You got to win there. We are going to win there. Um, I think that that gives us a, a springboard. But I think that we have a plan where you got to compete all across the country. You know, the goal is to win a majority of the delegates. People have won Iowa and, and doesn't and haven't won and vice versa. So uh, but yeah, as you know, these things are dynamic. Um, and so anytime you can do something like that, um, it, it, it creates uh, momentum and whatnot. But but we are going to just keep accumulating delegates. That's what you got to do. We also had a chance to catch up with Vivek Ramaswamy. He was on fire on that debate stage. Uh, he really laid out what he wanted to get accomplished in the debate, how he thought he did, and his path forward in the race. Take a listen. Good morning. Good to see you. Wow, you are up early. Yeah, it's all right. I like to be up early. Are you an early guy? I'm an early and late guy, both. I mean, you, how late were you up after the debate last night? Probably about one. Yeah, I saw you doing a bunch of the interviews. And then what time did you get up this morning? About six. Is that a normal? No, about like 5.30. Did you already, yeah. Don't tell me you already worked out. Not yet. No, no, no. We're going to see if we, <laughs> see if we get that Not in yet. before we head out of here. All right. How was your night? How'd you do? I think great from my vantage point. Yeah. I think that we got the truth out on the table on a lot of things that the media is refusing to touch. And I do think that if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power and take on the deep state, Start with somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. And I okay, think that's so what, what, I'm doing. what was the what was the moment, the issue that you were glad got covered last night? There are a few things. I think that going into the hypocrisy of a neocon establishment that wants to send your sons and daughters to go fight in somebody else's war, the fact that many of those proponents, from Chris Christie to Nikki Haley, apparently don't know the first thing about those wars that they want you to fight for. What provinces of Ukraine are we even going say, head over heels so to go what after? Was it, did you, were you ready for that? That province question, I was wondering afterwards, just as yeah. a political geek, yeah. I was like, okay, was that something? I looked at it as the goal was to say, you're the foreign policy expert, Nikki Haley. Yep. Tell me three provinces. Did you go into the debate with that? 
or was that something you thought of on the fly? I thought of it on the fly, actually, because okay. it occurred to me, you could see she was she was a little bit off kilter. She's somebody who actually, two debates ago, uh, said that she feels dumber every time I speak. Right. And so I thought of actually going after her a little bit for that, but I thought, let's think literally. I understand why she feels dumber when I speak. So let's just put this on the stage. Okay. Because she, her knowledge is totally missing, and it's not just her. It's an intellectually bankrupt philosophy where the people who want to send you to give taxpayer money and send our sons and daughters to those foreign wars, the ultimate farce at the end of it is they don't even know the first thing about those wars. Right. That's really what the actual that's really what the actual farce that the whole thing is all about. Yeah. One of our uh, Alabama, I'm sure he was just getting back from the debate. What did you expect her to say? Did you think she wasn't going to know those provinces? Uh, or, or did I you just think, I mean, that's, that's one if she example. If spotted it out, would that have been a surprise to you? It would have, I would have been surprised. Yeah. But I wouldn't have been, I mean, it wasn't just that. It's the fact that these people have a total absence of real foreign policy vision or grounding in history or understanding of really even, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. I don't know how many more presidents in U.S. history she would have named when asked about the U.S. presidents she admires as well. What I've learned is I've gotten to know these people in depth. They are practiced puppets reciting political slogans handed to them. I mean, you've lived in that world. Yeah. You know what these traditional politicians are like. I, I didn't expect this coming in as a newcomer to this process. These aren't people with actual views. They're just reciters of slogans. And I think the public deserves to see that. But the people who are the most bloodthirsty advocates of continuing this war in Ukraine don't even know the first thing about it. So let me so ask you one example. One, There's one some other things yeah, I think one, we accomplished one of the things last night as well. One of the things in debates that was always an old school tactic was Tell me how much a gallon of milk costs. The idea is you want to see if someone's relatable, that they've been in a mm-hmm. supermarket. Tactically speaking, I think that was the foreign policy equivalent of that. Okay, Nikki Haley, name three provinces since you cite well, your foreign policy. It's one policy. step more than that, though. It's somebody who is touting their own foreign policy experience. So it's like the gallon of milk would be if somebody says they're an expert in milk cartons and then they're an expert in knowing what the, right. the winner from the price is right. And right. that's my qualification to run the economy. That'd be a pretty bizarre basis to run for president. But if it was, it would be especially damning if you did not know how much a carton of eggs cost or how much a cart of milk, how much a gallon of milk costs. So I and, and so it's that backdrop. Somebody who has been touting her foreign policy credentials as her prime basis for running for U.S. president and also favoring these foreign wars that I believe haven't advanced our American interests, revealing herself, I think, in so many fronts, not to know the first thing of what the hell she's talking about, I think is one of the many farces of a bipartisan establishment. I said it wasn't just true of Nikki Haley. It's true of Joe Biden. I said that on the stage, too. It's a bipartisan foreign policy establishment that doesn't know the first thing about what they're advancing. But I also took the time on stage not just to talk about the other candidates. I think there are certain unspeakable realities that you're also the media won't really feed you, but is an absolute hard truth now based on evidence that we have from January 6th to the realities of what a Democratic Party immigration policy is really all about in their own words. These are things that the do you media think you spend you enough speak. time. Do you think you spend enough time? I, the thing that continues to amaze me in these debates is how much time. Look, I am a Republican through and through. You would make a much better president than Joe Biden. Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis. Hell, the two, that guy that just got escorted by us would probably make a better president than and the Joe average Biden. person off the street. Right. Certainly would. But I, I cringe sometimes on the amount of red on red that we do to each other but versus debates. I get it. But my yeah. point last night was that I sat around watching what happened the other day on Capitol Hill with these Harvard presidents. I look at what's happening in Ukraine, yeah. in China. 
all over the world domestically here at our, our border with the number of Chinese migrants, uh, military aged men lined up. And I'm going, are we spending enough time prosecuting the case against Joe Biden during these debates? What's the mix? Well, I would say that's up to the moderators. And I also no, it's also up to but you. I, but I also think from my vantage point, it's about drawing a contrast with other candidates. This is what this primary process right. is about. After that, you're going to go after Biden. But I think that there's a deep ideological divide in the GOP that we can't just paper over. I think that there are greater similarities between Joe Biden's foreign policy and Nikki Haley's and Chris Christie's foreign policy than there is between mine and Donald Trump's policy. Right. So I think that I think that that's Donald Trump and I have similar foreign policy. Nikki Haley, Chris Christie and Joe Biden have similar foreign policy. But just because we're running the Republican Party doesn't mean that we're the same on how to deal with this war in Ukraine. So I think some of these ideological divides, Sean, go deeper than just partisan ones. I'll give you another example is on free speech. Okay, I think that there is a pro-censorship movement within the Republican Party. Take a look at Nikki Haley's own policy to say that every American, if they're using a social media profile, if they're using social media, has to have government issued ID tied to that profile. Jack Smith, and I've criticized Jack Smith for this under Biden in the Trump case subpoenas from 2020, has subpoenaed any American who dared to like or retweet a post from Donald Trump. That's authoritarian. But the only thing more authoritarian than that is saying that each of those users should have had government issued ID tied to their social media profile. That's Orwellian. That's fascist in the United States. So I don't care if you call yourself a Republican. That's not red on red. That's just authoritarianism versus freedom. All right, guys, most of us know what it's like to be without power, sometimes for an hour, maybe a day, a couple days after a natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever. And they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, They're saying we could lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable. You can take it with you. You can use it inside your house. And it's powerful enough that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to fourpatriots.com and use code SPICER, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's four. Patriots.com includes that Patriot power generator. You'll get a uh, that guarantee for a year, free shipping if it's over 97 bucks, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans, right? That's great. So go to fourpatriots.com, use code SPICER, fourpatriots.com. You do not want to be without power in case something happens. This is way off topic of the debate. I want I don't want to get lost in this, but you are a businessman. You are very active on social media. You just brought up this issue. How do you think Elon Musk is doing running Twitter? I think he's doing a great job. Yeah. The first step is you got to get in there and is the private sector equivalent of draining the swamp. It's an interesting fact is he fired, I don't but know, from what's the number, business, 75% right, but, but of people. But from a business perspective, he's telling advertisers, I don't want you. I believe you use the phrase, go F yourself. Yep. As a pure, as a businessman, is he going to do what it takes? I get philosophically as a conservative, I think he's doing great to bring back free speech. I think one of the ways you build great companies, and I have been proud to build multiple companies myself, multi-billion dollar companies, and Elon Musk is probably the most successful entrepreneur in the world. One of the ways you build great companies is to have a well-defined mission, a worthy mission, and then 
do everything in service of that mission and how you build the company. Yeah. And I think he has done that. I don't think Twitter had a clear mission before. I think it does now under his leadership. I think sometimes in the short run, you're going to have to make some trade-offs to create that long run value. And I have full confidence he's going to do it. But I also think that every organization needs to define its own mission. Right. And the U.S. government, the U.S. federal government has completely failed and abandoned its mission of protecting and preserving the liberties of Americans here at home. So in some ways, what Elon did to Twitter, that's what I'm going in to do the federal bureaucracy. 75 percent right. headcount reduction. Count me in. 50 percent of that we can get done within the first month. Actually shut down agencies and bureaus that should not exist. Revive the integrity of a mission. Our founding fathers made it easy for us. The mission statement is the Declaration of Independence and the operating manual is the Constitution. So they may, as an entrepreneur, you have to create that from scratch. We don't need to create that from scratch in this country. Our founding fathers gave us the mission statement and the operating manual. All we need to do is actually have presidents and elected leaders who can follow it. And so, it's been a long time since we've had leaders who have, I think, sworn the oath to the Constitution with the intention of actually keeping it. My, my basic presumption is if you want to swear an oath to the Constitution, read it. Donald Trump is the best president we've had in recent history. But if you look over the last four decades, other than him, I think that you've had a bunch of political insiders that have made really bastardized versions of what this country was founded on. I'm going to bring back that founding spirit. As I talked about Thomas Jefferson last night, my favorite president, someone I look up to, he was 33 when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. And I think if he were alive today, the advice he'd be given us in the Republican Party is go with somebody with fresh legs. Go with somebody who can, yes, be bold, take some risks, speak truth to power, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. Go with somebody whose best days in life are still yet ahead so that you could see a country whose best days are ahead of itself too. That's so, why I'm in this race. So let me get back to foreign policy. One last question on this, because I thought what was interesting about your comments last night were how you want to approach Ukraine, right? Here's why we don't need to be involved in Ukraine, right? You made yep. a very in interesting case there. But then you were the only candidate that said that if Taiwan was attacked by China, it's in our strategic interest to defend it. Why? What, For the foreseeable future, yeah. Explain the juxtaposition there. Well, one hard answer that's just a quick answer I can give you is that we depend on Taiwan for a modern way of life. And if people don't know that right now, they should. But you could make the, the case that in Ukraine, no, 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 I, I, I get it. I want to be very specific. Okay. People understand. You, you probably know this, Sean, but I, but so that anybody who's listening to this really understands what I mean. That's not metaphorical. The little semiconductor right. chips that power our phones, that power those lights over there, the refrigerators cars. in that restaurant, those cars we're looking at, literally our modern way of life depends on Taiwan for our modern way of life. And if China is has an economic gun to our head to say that our entire modern way of living, we'd be third world nation without access to those leading edge semiconductors from Taiwan. That is a major problem for the United States right. of America. And there's no similar case even close to be made for Ukraine. That's a good starting answer. And we could go much deeper right. than that. But that's a big difference between the but, two. But, but I can already, I mean, U.S. policy right now is strategic ambivalence, right? So that the second, what you said right now, just if from a foreign policy standpoint, is provocative towards China, right? And, and so I, I've provided what I call strategic clarity instead of strategic ambiguity. Right. And I do think that strategic clarity is how we stay out of World War III. History teaches us that world wars start not because nations want to enter them, but because they accidentally trip red lines when everybody was vague about where they stood. I think we're closer to World War III than we've ever been in oh, my lifetime. I, I, look, I'm but and so I think that moving to strategic clarity is important. So what I've said is at least for the foreseeable future, at least for the foreseeable future, until we've achieved semiconductor independence or otherwise, we will defend Taiwan. And then after that, we can resume strategic ambiguity, which is the status quo. And so, yes, I think it's going to take somebody with an actual vision for our foreign policy. Part of that ending of the war in Ukraine is I've also said I would use that 
to weaken the Russia-China alliance, pull, chi- pull Russia out of its military alliance with China. The Russia-China military alliance is the single greatest threat that we face. That would be one of my requirements with Putin to end that Ukraine war on mutually agreeable terms is that we weaken, if not end that Russia-China alliance. So this is what we need in our foreign policy is actual vision. And this goes back to the debate last night. Because for the entire debate, you know, from the Mike Pence's to the Chris Christie's to the Nikki Haley's to much of the left wing mainstream media, they've derided me compared to those candidates for the lack of foreign policy experience. And I think we proved on that stage last night definitively that foreign policy experience is not the same as foreign policy wisdom. If anything, our history teaches us for the last 25 years that actually those with self-professed foreign policy experience are the ones with the absence of the real wisdom. Donald Trump, in that sense, I mean, he's the president who kept us out of major wars and grew the economy. He was an outsider that came in without that alleged foreign policy experience either. And I applaud him for that. But I'm now the leader from the next generation. You get to be now I'm the outsider in this race. And I think it's going to take an outsider with fresh legs to take that America first movement to the next level. And I think that the farce of that neocon establishment was really exposed as the emperor who has no clothes on that stage last night. So foreign policy obviously dominated a lot of the talk last night. Iowa is the first state, 40 delegates at stake. I think a lot politically at stake for for these campaigns. We've talked about that in the past. How much do you think the voters of Iowa, the roughly 200,000 people that are going to go caucus, care about foreign policy as an issue that they're deciding you versus Nikki Haley versus Ron DeSantis versus Donald Trump? I think they care about the United States of America and making sure that we're actually protecting our homeland. Yeah. And so in some case... The fact that we're talking when about you're, these you're everywhere. Wars. You're everywhere in Iowa. When I talk to people, yeah. they'll say, that guy did what, more events than I've seen anyone. But yeah, do, well, how much does that come up? I think or do you up, bring it up? No, 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 no. I think it comes up a decent amount. I think it comes up a decent amount. But I don't think people care about the exact individual details of this particular thing in Armenia versus Ukraine versus knowing that we're going to have a president who's going to prioritize keeping Americans safe here at home. And when I tell them we would sooner use our own military to secure our own border than somebody else's border halfway around the world. That gets rousing applause every time. Yeah. I think a lot of issues that Iowans care about are being ignored as well. I mean, I've met Iowa farmers, and I mentioned this in my closing statement last night, who are about to have their land taken by eminent domain to run a carbon capture pipeline in favor of a new global climate change cult that, frankly, the Republican Party has been too meek on. So I think I'm the only candidate taking on issues like that one. But I think people also care about basically understanding that you have a president who's going to downsize the federal government to meet our national debt issues so the next generation isn't loaded with $34 trillion in national debt, that you're going to have a president who grows the economy, the rising inflation, rising interest rates combined with stagnant wages. That's what's really leaving people hurting. It's time for a CEO in the White House. And I think that I'm the only person on that stage last night, certainly, who's been a CEO, who understands deeply how the economy functions and how to grow this economy. And also somebody I think people are hungry for that new generation with fresh legs to lead us forward. That doesn't just mean being young. I think Ron DeSantis tried to bring that up as a contrast with Trump. I think you can be older in years and younger in spirit. I think Trump and I are the two America first candidates in this race. That is the future of the Republican Party rather than chasing the Dick Cheney philosophy of the past. But I do think that it does help as well to be somebody who has not only fresh ideas, but fresh legs to go along with it. That's the combination I'm bringing. So let's get into style and tactics for a second. Last night, you held up a sign said Nikki equals corrupt. It went nuts on the internet. Uh, A lot of folks afterwards in the grassroots conservative movement were all Vivek, Vivek, Vivek crushed Mm -hmm. it. There were older folks 
making commentary on television that thought it was a little over the top, a little unprofessional was one of the words. Amateurist was another. Walk me through just your tactics stylistically. Why, why that approach? Why, and who do you think you're appealing to when you do that? So I'll tell you something about me, Sean, for better or worse. I'm not a guy who thinks through how is this going to appeal to one particular base versus not. I'm sharing my honest reactions and I am being unvarnished with the people about telling them where I actually stand and what my true convictions are. And so my long run strategy is that that's actually what's going to be rewarded over the long run. You were a CEO. I think people are sick you were, and tired of fake you, you were CEO. Yes. You, you successful companies. If you had done that in a, in a would you, would but you the role is different here? The role is okay, okay, so you, you would never different. do that as a CEO. No, I mean, the role of a CEO is you provide products and services to people who you need have employees. them and make a profit while you're at it. Exactly. And you lead those employees in service of that mission. But in this domain, we have a government that has just systematically lied to its people for a long time because politicians have been hiding the ball on what their own convictions are, if they even have convictions. And for me, I'm the opposite of that. I'm not a politician. I have deep, deeply held convictions. Most of them are popular, I think, with the Republican base. Some of them may not be, which they require. My job is to persuade them of those views and bring them along. And I think in many cases in this race, we have been. I'll remind you, I said this on the stage last night. I was against the Ukraine war before it was popular to be against the Ukraine war. We've persuaded many people in this country by revealing the truth of what that is. Well, I'm also against corrupt politicians. I think that Biden is corrupt. I think that Hunter Biden's $5 million bribe from Ukraine is not unrelated to Biden's foreign policy to fork over money to Ukraine. And I think that the fact that Nikki Haley has a military contracting firm and has joined the board of Boeing and used her connections at the UN to go from being broke to having enriching herself is not unrelated to the fact that she's biased towards foreign wars. So I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, man or woman, and I do think that this is one of the dynamics in the mainstream media right now. They play with kid gloves. If you have two X chromosomes, especially if you're going to be controlled by the media, speak honestly there. I don't play with those same kid gloves. And so I'm not going through the calculus of what's this going to do my polls tomorrow. Otherwise, you get a bunch of plastic politicians like the ones that you see in traditional politics. I'm going through what are my convictions? What needs to be said that other people are not saying? Do I have the guts to say it? Yes, I do. So let me go out there and actually tell the people the truth. And I I think if you want someone who's going to take on that deep state, if you want somebody who's actually going to end the corruption, not talk about it, it's not going to be done by somebody who's just going to be playing with kid gloves or doing what the polls tell them to do. It's going to be somebody who acts on their own convictions and sees this through. And so what did I demonstrate on the debate stage last night? I'm not going to spare anybody who's on the wrong side of an issue, and I will praise anybody who's on the right side of an issue. I recognized, you know, other candidates, Ron DeSantis in certain instances where he was on the right side, and I'll recognize him where he's on the wrong side of certain issues too. You need somebody who's going to speak the truth. The government has lied to its people. I said this last night. January 6th is looking increasingly like it was an inside job. Look at the videos, at least a part. The government... Letting you people in. Was Capitol I mean, you Police. brought up a lot last night. I mean, a great replacement theory is not some made-up right-wing conspiracy theory. Just look at what much of the Democratic Party has said in the last 10 years. It's basically a description of their immigration platform. And I think that that does deserve to be mainstreamed in a way that people can see that for what it is. There's a reason why, Sean, I'm the only person on that stage who's able to say those things. The other people are bound by commitments to the establishment and the people who control them in the Republican Party. And frankly, some of those people aren't even in the Republican Party. You look at Reid Hoffman, one of the top donors to the Democratic causes is George Soros Jr., funding some of those lawsuits, including the efforts to keep Trump off the ballot, we now learn is one of Nikki Haley's top supporters. So again, I don't I don't believe in this 
Well, but isn't that red on red? Well, if you have a bunch of hard blue controlling that red from Larry Fink to Reid Hoffman, the people who want to keep Trump off the ballot, funding Nikki Haley, then no, I don't believe in this philosophy that no, you're not supposed to touch that because somebody just puts an R after their name. That's how we will destroy not only this Republican Party, but this country. And to take somebody who's going to be independent of that classical partisan thinking to say that this is this country we care about. The America First agenda is bigger than black versus white. It is bigger than just classical red versus blue. I think most Americans in this country are with us in this America First movement. There's two America First candidates in this race. That's Trump and myself. But I think right now I can go further with that agenda than anybody because we can reach. You just saw it in that restaurant there, the next generation. People with fresh legs. And that's what it's going to take to take this movement you know, to the in next order level. To, last question here. In order to reach that next generation, you have to get out of Iowa. How many tickets out of Iowa are there and where will you be? I think there will be a solid three to four tickets out of Iowa, but I think we're going to shatter expectations. What's that mean? Well, what it means is the expectations have been sent really low for for an outsider candidate like me. I think the polls do not capture but many there, of our there supporters. Are four, Christie's not running in Iowa, right? So it's Trump, DeSantis, I mean, Haley, and you. I mean, I mean, Christie's on the ballot. He's not going to do well yeah, in but Iowa. But he's not even better. But I think, I, think, I think coming out of Iowa and New Hampshire, this is going to be a narrowed field, and I'm definitely going to be part of it. That's what we're going to see. But so, and that's I mean, going to exceed in Iowa, expectations. Don't you have to beat somebody? Yeah. So you, okay. So you I have, think we're going to deliver a. Here's what I'll tell you, Sean. Yeah. We will deliver a major surprise in Iowa. The expectations that are set by the polling and the mainstream media narrative now, we're going to shatter that. And I think that's going to be. But give me a number. You're a businessman. Just all I want. Yeah, just, but, but I mean, like, I, if you have to I'm do not, more than ten percent, I'm a businessman, but not some sort of. But somebody walked into an office and said, analyst. "Hey, boss, uh, we're going to have a great quarter." I think, we'll, I think we'll be in the double digits in Iowa handily. Okay, handily in Iowa. All right. Double digits. No be problem. Be safe. With that. Thank you for Thank being with us again. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. See you Thank soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, folks. Thank you for listening. Thanks for sharing your Christmas with me. Please continue to subscribe, share the show. While you're gathered with friends during this holiday season, tell them about the show. Give that, make that another gift. Say, I've got one more thing for you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to unwrap it for you. Go to YouTube, hit that subscribe button for them, hit the notification bell, rumble as well. Then say, by the way, let's go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and do the same. That's your gift to so many people. I do appreciate all your support for the show, everything that you've done to help out our sponsors. We will be back here tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day.